Children ages 3 through 1st grade are welcome to participate in Children's Church. And I'd like to ask the rest of you to open your Bibles to the Old Testament prophet Micah. It's one of the shorter prophets, kind of near the end of the Old Testament. Uh, it's printed in your bulletin, so you can turn there if you prefer. Uh, most of us are probably familiar uh, with one particular verse in, in the book of Micah uh, where, you know, it's the famous one about God has shown you what he requires of you to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. The second most familiar part of Micah, we, we hear typically this time of year in our Advent reading. So if you've got your place in uh, Micah chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 2 through the first part of verse 5. So let's stand in honor of God's word. <clears throat> But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth, and then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand. And shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Let me pray for us. Father, we give you thanks for Jesus, our Prince of Peace, mighty God, wonderful Counselor, uh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords and, and Shepherd of Shepherds. Lord, would you come and lead us to see the goodness of Jesus. Help us to celebrate him. Help us to adore him, we pray in his name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> uh, all right, perhaps I'm trying to be a little overly clever today, but who cares? I'm just going to rip off of a few of our Christmas carols. Uh, if you're using the outline, you can, you can see where we're going here. It's about Bethlehem. Uh, Jesus is the king of shepherds, and we've been singing about Bethlehem, we're reading about Bethlehem, and uh, you know all the Christmas carols about Bethlehem. So once in Royal David City, a little town of Bethlehem, and then we're going to kind of wrap up with the call to, to come to, to Bethlehem, come and behold him, born the king of angels, and adore him. I mean, that's, that's why we're here. That's, that's what being a disciple fundamentally is, is about, is, is worship. Having our hearts redirected to focus on the one who truly is worthy rather than all the kind of distracted places our souls end up going, uh, if, if you know what I mean. So, uh, yeah, let's start with Royal David City. Um, you remember the, uh, the, the hymn, Once in Royal David City, about, uh, actually, no, not about, but l l truly a hundred years ago, this, this Tuesday, uh, will be when uh, the, the first Lessons and Carols Christmas Eve service that we kind of, you know, think is normal, there was a time when that wasn't a thing, uh, and a hundred years ago it became a thing at, uh, at King's College in Cambridge, England. And it was just after uh, World War I, and, uh, and, and things were kind of crazy. 
and people wanted to come together and express some Christian unity, and, and so they, they developed this Lessons and Carol service. For a hundred years, that original Lessons and Carols service in Cambridge, which still continues today, it always begins with once in Royal David City, with these words. Once in Royal David City stood a lowly cattle shed where a mother lay her baby in a manger for his bed. Mary was that mother mild, Jesus Christ, uh, her little child. So Royal David City is Bethlehem. Uh, it's the city of shepherds, uh, and we're going to talk more about Bethlehem in a second, but I want you to have the context first. Uh, you know, what's, who's Micah? What's that prophet writing about? Why are these words in, you know, this part of the Old Testament? Especially if you're new to, to Tabernacle or new to the church in general, new to the Bible, right? Um, Micah was one of the Old Testament prophets, and he wrote at a really unique time, uh, in the history of God's people, um, he overlapped about three kings, but, but he, he was prophesying during the entire reign of one particular king named Ahaz. And Israel had some good kings, Judah had some good kings, um, they had some bad kings. Ahaz was, was, a, was a bad king, wicked man, um, and led the people, led the nation into apostasy and faithlessness and all this stuff. Um, and the people were, were just longing for a good government, for a good king. Um, this was a time of intense division because you had a, a split between the nations, sort of a civil war. In the north was Israel, and the south was Judah. Uh, and this is a time of incredible division, not only nationally and politically, but culturally and spiritually. And so people wanted a king who could you know, restore the glory that used to be and, and uh, who, who, could, um, who could help them. In fact, though, things got worse during Ahaz's reign and, and while Micah is on watch uh, because in 722 BC, the Assyrians came down out of the north. Uh, we talked about that, right? Like the, the, the light has shone in, in Galilee among the Gentiles. The, 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 the north is where all the enemies would come down. And so it was wonderful that God would comfort those northern territories because, well, Assyria came down. And in 722, attacked the capital city, Samaria, uh, of that northern kingdom. And, and it fell. And so then all that was left was, was Judah. So God's people were just shrinking and there was just more instability, more, more, more threats within and more threats without. It just got worse and worse. And into this experience, you know, comes, comes the prophet Micah, and he's preaching comfort and, and telling people uh, God's word. So this isn't just a little bit of Bible church history. We're not, we're not doing just a, a history class here. This is relevant to us, isn't it? Because we can kind of relate <laughs> to a, a, a situation nationally where there's an intense division politically, uh, there's division culturally, there's division spiritually. We, we know what it's like to have all that internal division and all the external threats and so on. So, wow, you know, is it possible that God's word, you know, centuries removed from us can, can speak comfort and peace to us today, even here now? Uh, yeah, of course. So I just wanted to give you that sense of, of context 
So you can see that what Micah is sharing is actually very, very relevant to you and to me and to how we're living. Uh, as, as Micah predicts, this, this birth that would happen, uh, that would happen and bring about a new king who would be a shepherd king, all right? So in verse 2, the, the prophet says that you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, you know, one of the smaller tribes, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So we hear that and go, oh, Bethlehem, of course, Bethlehem. We know all about Bethlehem because we hear about it every Christmas. But back up and, and hear this with fresh ears and ask yourself the question, well, why Bethlehem? What's the big deal about Bethlehem? It's a big deal to us because we know that's where Jesus was born. But this is before Jesus was born. Why is Bethlehem a big deal? This is David's, Royal David's city, you know, King David's city. Now, this is where David was born. Um, another one of the Old Testament prophets was Samuel. In 1 Samuel, uh, he hears God say, go to Bethlehem. I'm going to send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king from among his sons. God's going to give Israel a king. And so Jesse says, great, you know, I've got all these strapping sons, these, you know, macho men, and um, brings, brings uh, Samuel in front of his sons and says, have your pick, you know, make one of my sons the king. And God's spirit tells Samuel, no, it's none of these guys. And, and Samuel says, like, don't you have any, and is there anybody else? And then Jesse says, well, yeah, there remains yet the, the youngest slash smallest, you know, this guy's not very big, not, not much for the eyes. Uh, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. So he's a shepherd. He's the youngest. He's not the one that you would expect to be the king. And this is King David. He's from Bethlehem. So all along, there's just been this, this legacy, uh, and, and a, it's become legend, too, that there's going to be a new king that would come in David's line from Bethlehem. So when when God's people hear Micah prophesy about Bethlehem, Ephrathah, they're going, oh, a return to the glory of King David. And their hearts would take courage. They would be excited and, and blessed by that. So he's going to be this new king. Uh, he was a shepherd. Um, and, and some things you need to know about shepherds. Uh, shepherds, you know, care for the flock. They lead them beside still waters and like, make them lie down in green pastures. They do all of that. They're tender, uh, they're, they're aware, uh, they want to bless you know, the flock, obviously. But, but shepherds were more than that. Um, so last week when Kyle uh, was preaching, we were, we've been using this whole Advent series to talk about Jesus as the king of blessing, the king of peace. Last week we were talking about how he's the king of justice. This was the section from Jeremiah where God says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, while I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and execute justice. That's what we should expect from the leader that God would provide for his people. He would be a king that would insist on justice, that would be the, the one that people would rejoice in for his righteousness. There would be no corruption no bending the rules, you know, nothing that's making everybody wonder, well, who's telling the truth and who can we trust and so on. This would be a righteous king, a just king. 
But before those verses, immediately before those verses, which we didn't look at last week, but we're saved for this week, Jeremiah 23, 3 says, then I will gather the remnant of my flock. This is God speaking. He's the, the real shepherd. I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and I will bring them back to their fold and they shall be fruitful and multiply, you know, and flourish, be, be well. And I will set shepherds over them who will care for them and they will fear no more nor be dismayed, neither shall be any missing, declares the Lord. So it's this great picture of, of blessing, provision, protection, and so on. So what's really kind of fascinating, though, is um, in the ancient Near East, all these different cultures, nations, uh, whether it's Assyria or, or Babylon or Persia or Egypt, all the kings and, and all these cultures resonated deeply with this whole idea of a, a king um, who would be a shepherd. So these different monarchs would all say, yeah, I'm the shepherd of my people. And, and here God is, is saying, no, I'm going to give uh, a true shepherd to my people. I, God even adopts the same language uh, to, to sort of speak our language and to reassure us in our peace. And God's people were longing for this king, deeply, deeply anticipating the arrival and the culmination of the story. How is this going to play out? How is God going to bring the, this, this what feels like ruin and separation and division, you know, internally and enemies coming from the outside, all of this, how is he going to bring this to a satisfying fulfillment? How's the story going to end? It's another thing we can kind of relate to, especially right now, where the last of the Star Wars movies is now out. The last of the Skywalker saga is now out. By, by no means the last of the Star Wars movies. We can be sure of that. But the last of the Skywalker story, right? Don't you want to kind of know how that ends? Or isn't isn't our, our culture anticipating? Like, how is the story of, of even division, you know, among the rebels and the external threats with the First Order, how's this all going to resolve? Well, it's, whoa, it's an incredible ending. When Ray and Poe are in this, I mean, they're like hemmed in. And then the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda swoop in and rescue them from the evil clutches of Darth Thanos. No. All right, I thought that would have a better effect. Okay. Um, no, I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not, we're, we're, I haven't seen it yet. Um, going today. And, and, and we're excited. We're Star Wars fans. We've been longing. <laughs> All right, it's a really, really weak example. Okay, I get it. <laughs> We've been longing for the appearing, right, of this last chapter. You want to know how it ends. We want the denouement, you know. We want to have this sense of closure. And more than that, we want a good ending. And everybody's nervous. Is this going to be a satisfying ending or not? How's this going to end? Are they going to do this well? Rest assured, God's going to do it well. The return of his shepherd will be beautiful beyond description. It will be satisfying beyond any, what any prophet could possibly describe. They will, shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. They will multiply. They will flourish. They will be blessed. That's, that's what we look forward to. 
Now, you know, for shepherds, we, we have this one connotation, um, you know, that they're kind and gentle, and, and certainly, you know, a good shepherd is going to be all those things. But I think we need to also address maybe there's this, we can go too far in that direction to where you think that the shepherd is just sort of passive, passive and, and nice and maybe even a little timid. But that's not a shepherd, not a good shepherd at least. Isn't a good shepherd one who leads? Isn't a good shepherd one who exercises authority? Is a good shepherd going to have a democracy among the flock? Hey, I don't, where, do you, where, do you, where do you guys want to go? Where, you want to go to that field or that field? You, know, you want to go over there to that? You know? No, the shepherd doesn't take a poll. He's not you know, trying to figure out what is everybody like. The good shepherd leads by conviction and he directs, and it's authoritative, and, and, and we follow. That's our role. This makes some of us a little bit scared, right? Like, so, hmm. some of us are, are scared, you know, of some authority. All of us, uh, some, some of us are scared of all authority. Let me put it that way. Some of us are scared of some authority. But no, we don't have to be afraid of this, this authority, because we're promised in Jeremiah that woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Uh, the shepherd that God's going to provide is going to be perfect. He's going to be righteous. He's going to be the one that we long for. And so he's this shepherd king. That's a descriptive term for the kind of way that he's going to lead. He's going to lead with conviction. He's going to lead with kindness. He's going to lead with righteousness. He's going to bring blessing and peace. That's the kind of shepherd king that God's providing. And we, and we find him in Bethlehem. It's an unlikely place to find a king. Um, you know, a little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie and, and so on. Like that, that's not far off the mark. That's actually a pretty good descriptor of Bethlehem in Jesus's day. Uh, archaeologists, anthropologists are fairly agreed that it was really not much on the map of of terms of first century Bethlehem, like maybe 500 people in that village, maybe. Um, And so it was like, didn't even have an exit ramp, you know, there's not even an exit off the interstate to get to Bethlehem. You got to go way around to get there because it's just a backwater town, not the place where you would go to find a king. Because where do you go to find a king? Where would you expect to find a birth of a king? Same place that the wise men expected to find a king. Um, They're clopping along in Matthew 2, and behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Why do they go to Jerusalem? Because where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Because Jerusalem is where you would expect to find a new king who's been born. Um, It's the capital city. Who lives in the capital city? The current king. And if there's going to be a new king who's going to be the heir to the throne, guess what? The, The royal family lives in the capital city, and so that's where the new king is going to be born. So what happens is King Herod hears that there's a new king born, and he's going... Hmm, I didn't know anything about this. He's not my family. That means he's a threat. And you know the story about uh, Herod killing all the boys, infant boys, two years old and younger, trying to eliminate Jesus. But no, in, in Matthew's passage, actually, you know, they end up searching the scriptures 
And the priests tell them, no, he's going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And Micah gets quoted, this passage here in Micah chapter 5 gets quoted in Matthew chapter 2 about little Bethlehem uh, Ephrathah in the land of Judah. Uh, so this, this, um, this king comes to little, little Bethlehem. So, you know, this whole notion of, of the shepherds uh, is something that some of us gravitate toward and some of us are a little suspicious toward, but, but let's all just stand back and agree that we all do need a leader. Uh, we all do need a shepherd. We all have shepherds. Maybe you don't call them shepherds, but we all have people that we follow. Because there's no such thing as a self-made person. Um, any skills you've acquired, any... Um, any job that you have, any position, any, let's talk about success, right? Especially if you have success in what you do and you're calling. Uh, you, you didn't get to where you are by just pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. You had help. You had people guide you. Uh, you had teachers who instructed you. You had examples who you followed. Maybe it was somebody who was mentoring you. Maybe, you know, you were in some kind of internship. Uh, at the very least, there's YouTube. You know, you, you Googled something, figure out how to do it, what you needed to get accomplished, and somebody instructed you. Somebody shepherded you. Uh, we all need uh, shepherding, and, and what's interesting about Jesus is that he comes along and he's not your typical shepherd. He's a very unconventional shepherd, and he's a threat to sort of our paradigm, our traditional paradigm of, of shepherding. So we all need a shepherd where it comes to you know, school or your occupation or, you know, how to do marriage, how to do parenting, how to do friendship. We're all looking for, you know, guidance and examples. Why would it be any different spiritually? You and I need, desperately, desperately need a shepherd when it comes to how to do soul care, which is why we need Jesus, because he's, he's the one who's upsetting the apple cart of spirituality. Because we, we know that there's all kinds of options out there spiritually. Many, many people, individuals, historic figures, and you know, modern day leaders who would say, I'll be your shepherd. And what they'll do is they'll say, you know, they'll teach you, uh, all right, this is the way, that, believe this way, right? Believe these things. Uh, and, and that's popular. Or uh, they'll show you an example, and it's important to believe the right thing, or they'll show you an example and they'll say, come this way, um, you know, imitate me and, and, and do these things in order to make God happy and, and be spiritually healthy. There's nothing wrong if those are indeed healthy things. Uh, but Jesus is different. He doesn't just say, believe this way. He doesn't just say, come this way. He says, I am the way. And that is radically different than any other spiritual shepherd option there is. He's a threat. Just as you know, Herod heard the birth of, of this new king in Bethlehem as a threat to traditional, conventional, political structures there, you know, Jesus continues to be a threat to traditional, conventional, spiritual structures. He's not just pointing to a way, go that way. You know, he's not just pointing to these things, believe this way. He, he points to himself and he says, I am the way. Believe in me. Not just the things that I'm teaching you, not just follow my example, but, but I am the way and the truth and the life. 
And if you pause and you consider those words, they, they strike you either as incredibly monstrous uh, egomaniac speaking them, or they're true. Or they're true. I'm the way and the truth and the life. No, no other religious figurehead does that. He's a threat, right, to the conventional way that we think of religion where it's all about me and my performance and believing the right things and doing the right things and sacrificing for the right things and giving money to the right things and, and you know, all about what we contribute. And instead, Jesus says, no, 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 it's not like that. It's about what I contribute for you, what I do for you. He's, he's a different kind of shepherd because he's also the lamb. He's, he's the shepherd that leads the lambs, but he's also the lamb that was slain. And why was he slain? Well, he laid down his life for our sins so that he would do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Every other religious option out there fundamentally is built upon what you and I do for ourselves in order to make ourselves right with God, to appease the gods or you know, the mojo or the karma or whatever it is out there that's sort of spinning this universe. And Jesus says, no, I spin the universe. And I lay down my life for you to take your sins away, to give you goodness, to give you righteousness, to give you rightness so that you're right before God, not based on any of our rules that we keep and any of the things that we get right on our essays and our exams and all the things that we do that we think make us religious. He's a radically different kind of shepherd, but the one that we need. So everybody's got a shepherd that we follow, and Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And, you know, if that makes you uneasy, the idea of his authority and so on, just know that he, he's never going to abuse that authority. In fact, you know, what the cross teaches us, as he's not only the shepherd but the lamb, is that authority abused him. Authority abused him. He was willing to suffer that in order to deliver us into his good kingdom. He's never going to exploit the sheep because he was exploited, right? He's not going to turn those tables on us. That's why we can trust him. That's why we can bow down. That's why we can follow him. So he's this, he's the shepherd king, but the shepherd's king. This is just, he keeps upsetting the apple cart because we sort of imagine religious spiritual figureheads, you know, going to the prominent places and, and so on, but not with Jesus. Um, when the angels were sent to announce his birth, who do they go to? They go to the shepherds. So he's the shepherd's king in sort of that possessive sense. He's the king for shepherds, for common people. The, Unto you is born in this day, in the city of David, in Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Why was the birth of Jesus announced to the shepherds of all people? Did you ever pause and wonder that? Like, why didn't the angels go to the temple to announce the birth of Jesus to the priests? And why didn't, the, you know, the, the, the big priests, you know, the, the high priest and so on, why didn't the angels go to the palace in order to announce the birth of Jesus to the king? Why didn't the angels go to the marketplace to announce to the business professionals and so on, right? No, they went to the shepherds. They went to ordinary people. They went to lowly people, right? 
Once in Royal David's city, he came down to earth from heaven, who is God and Lord of all, and in his shelter was a stable, and his cradle was a stall. And with the poor and meek and lowly lived on earth our Savior, holy. He just um, is unconventional. He's a different kind of shepherd who's the shepherd's king, the one who is adored by those who the world kind of pushes aside, the lepers and the losers, uh, the shepherds and the sinners, the thieves and the prostitutes, the immigrants and the homeless and the hungry. He's their king. He says, these are my people. He doesn't exclude the rich, but he does say it's hard for the rich. They have to, they've got more to leave behind come and follow him. So when you think about Jesus, he's this shepherd king who's the shepherd's king. He's a, a king for shepherds and for people who just, you know, the world overlooks. But he doesn't overlook them. He bids them come and gives them this beautiful welcome. And so what is our response to this kind of shepherd? Um, the carol, O come all ye faithful, sums it up well. Um, come, all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant, come ye, come ye to Bethlehem. Come to the shepherd king. And come and behold him, born the king of angels. Come, let us adore him. Let us adore him. Let us adore him. Why? What, what, what's so wonderful about him that's worth adoring? Well, you know, look at how our passage ends in verses 4 and the beginning of verse 5. This shepherd will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And his people will dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace. This is the experience of those who come to Jesus and say, yes, he is my shepherd. And, and the, you know, the, the hymn instructs us well. It says, let us adore him. Come, let us adore him. Come, let us adore him. It doesn't just say... Come, you know, let us agree with him and, you know, get our doctrine and our thinking straight and believe the right things. Yeah, I mean, that's important. And it doesn't just say, come, let us obey him and do the right things and check the right boxes. That's important too. But isn't it so much more than that? Come, let us adore him and worship him and declare that he is good. How do you know that a shepherd is good? What's the best evidence in the world that we can give to the world that Jesus is the good shepherd, that he is who he says he is. I can't think of anything better than demonstrating that he's good through following him. It's the only way the world is going to get evidence that we really do not only agree that he's good, not that or that we, that we think that his advice and rules are helpful and healthy or whatever, you're like, fine. No, but following him, loving him, obeying him, adoring him, that is what convinces the world that he's good. In our eyes, he's good. And they will see this evidence. So, you know, Paul says this, <clears throat> something similar. In 1 Corinthians 11, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. A little summary of basically what he's saying. Follow me as I follow Christ. And I think that's a great way of summarizing what do we mean when we say that Jesus is the good shepherd. 
can I say what Paul says? Can you say what Paul says? Are you comfortable saying, follow me as I follow Christ? Now, in one sense, we should never say that glibly or, you know, arrogantly, like, yeah, follow me. I got this down. I, I know what I'm doing. You know, let's go. Um, that seems a little bit prideful, perhaps. But the important caveat is, follow me as I follow Christ. Are you so committed that Jesus is your good shepherd that you adore him? So much so that you can't abide not being close to him. And being close to him means following him. means He's leading you can't stay stagnant. You can't be passive. You have to be active in our discipleship. That means following him. Are you following him so closely that A, you adore him, B, that you can commend your followership to others? Follow me as I, as I follow Christ. Now, that immediately presents some tension because none of us follow him perfectly. And if you do think you're following him perfectly, you're lost. And that's the tension. I don't, I don't want to invite people to, to do something that I'm not doing well or even doing poorly or, or, or wrong. You know, like, but but here's, here's the good news. Um, even though none of us follow him perfectly, the, what are our options? Uh, one option would be, well, I, can, I, I guess I'll just quit. I can't do this right, so I'll quit. But nobody's going to follow a quitter. Uh, or you could hide it and fake it, and, you know, but that's not really helpful either because nobody really wants to follow a hypocrite. So what about this option? How about repentance? That's the beautiful part of being a Christian and being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, is you've got good days where you're doing well as his follower and imitating him, and people see your love, and they see your peace, and they see your joy, and that's all good. We want more of that. But then you've got bad days where you blow it. You mess up, and the flesh gets the best of you, and you sin, and, you know, it's ugly. It's a hot mess. And then you get to repent. And you say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And that's how people see you following Jesus, too. It's a win-win on your best days and your worst days through repentance and faith is continuing to follow him and showing people that I adore him. I need to be close to him. And I can't be separated from him. Come, follow him with me. Come, let us adore him together. And then, you know, lastly, just as a final word to those of you who are here and maybe you're new and, you know, you know, Jesus is, is fine. He's, he's this figurehead that you respect and you admire and he's one of, you know, many religious figureheads that maybe, you know, we respect and admire. But, Lord and king and shepherd, I don't know. Well, okay. But consider this. Uh, he's the shepherd king, sort of describes who he is and his protection and provision and you know, tenderness and kindness and authority that he uses for good. And he's the shepherd's king that, in that possessive sense that he's, he's the king not just for kings, but he's the king for shepherds. And people have problems. And people who are poor. But he's also the king of shepherds in the sense that we talk about him as the king of kings and the lord of lords and the shepherd of shepherds. Like he's the best shepherd, the superlative shepherd. We all 
follow somebody, whether you acknowledge it or not. And, and I know that there's a part of us that doesn't want to say, you know, I'm a follower. We want to be independent. We want to be autonomous. We want to make our decisions. We want to, like college students, you know what I'm talking about. You're home. From, you're home. You've been away and you've been doing your thing and you've been calling your own shots and making your own rules and coming home back to your room whenever you want and going out whenever you want and you're not having to check in and now you're back home. Isn't it great? <laughs> back under mom and dad's rule and roost and you're like, oh gosh. It's a, it's a, it's a little bit stressful here at the holidays. Let's all you know, admit that. But no, no, no. There's a part of us that always feels like a college student coming home. I want to do my thing. I want to be independent. I want to be autonomous. But nobody is. Earlier in, um, in Micah chapter 4, it says, All the peoples walk, each in the name of its God. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Everybody has a shepherd, a God. Who are you following? Who are you following in order to get life, peace, joy, and blessing? Who are you trying to impress? Whose rules are you trying to keep? Who, whose graces are you trying to get in on? in order to arrive. Everybody has a shepherd. The real question is, is your shepherd the shepherd of shepherds, the king of shepherds? If, if he's not, if it's not, you know, maybe you'll get somewhere, you'll have some nice things along the way, but you won't have the ultimate thing. You won't have ultimate peace. You won't have ultimate blessings. You will never get forgiveness for your sins. You'll always wrestle with what to do with your shame. And at the end of the day, if you're following the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the shepherd of shepherds, you don't just get earthly blessing. You get eternal blessing. Light of light. God of God. Joy of joy. So come. Let us adore him together. Let's pray. Lord, you have given us Jesus, and there is nothing greater that you could give us. You withheld nothing in order to bless us, to forgive us, to make us new creations, and to bring us into your family. And Lord, he is exactly who we need. He is who our our church needs. He's who our community needs, our country needs. He's who our world needs. Thank you that he is a shepherd king, the shepherd's king, and the, and the king of shepherds. And in all these ways, he is exactly what our souls were made for. So help us adore him. Help us see more of his perfection and beauty and goodness. And Lord, conform us more and more to his image. Help us walk closer and closer to him as we follow. And Lord, for all the places where we fail, make us quick to repent, quick to believe in him again, quick to, to show others our repentance and his goodness in forgiving us and making us new.
Lord, would you bless all of us, those who believe in you and those who are struggling to believe and those who don't know yet what they believe. Help us to rest in you. Help us to adore him. We pray in his name.